five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. You're listening to Tabletop and Beyond with your host, Justin. But before we get started, how was your geek week? And co-hosts, Dan and Jason. You have to be willing to let the dice help you tell the story. Okay, look, this year, I'm going to stop mispronouncing words. Join us as we cover board games to war games and beyond. And welcome back to Tabletop and Beyond. I am your host, Justin. We have a great show for you today. We're excited to welcome Mike Mason from Chaosium. He uh, he might be our most accomplished guest that we've actually had on our podcast so far. Um, he is the current creative director for the Call of Cthulhu RPG. He has more than 40 books in the Cthulhu line to his credit, including the core 7th edition books. In a previous life, he worked for Games Workshop on the Warhammer 40k Dark Heresy RPG, as well as the Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. And of course, he has multiple any award uh, awards to his name for his work on all these different RPG systems. And Mike, welcome to the show. Oh, well, thank you very much. It's a uh, pleasure to be here. Uh, I'm not kidding. When I was going through your bio a little bit and saw that uh, you you were very very accomplished, and we we are very happy to to have you here to talk about Call of Cthulhu today and some of the great things that you guys are doing with it right now that are that are coming out, um, as well as just kind of who you are as a as an RPG content creator. We're really excited to have you on here. Well, it's very kind of you to say. It's uh, it's you know I I just enjoy. I, you know, I've always enjoyed uh, tabletop RPGs, and so uh, I, nowadays I just get to do it full time, which is kind of, a, I guess, a dream come true, really. That is kind of the dream, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> sometimes uh, the tabletop RPG world is is not the easiest to work for, um, but uh, I think if you can find that niche, like it, it's pretty amazing. Yep, no, certainly uh, it certainly keeps me busy anyway and out of trouble, so uh, I can't complain. <laughs> Very good. Now, Mike, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? You are based out of uh, out of England, is that correct? Yes. Yeah, so I, I live right in the middle of England, uh, just outside of the city of Nottingham, you know, Robin Hood land, All right. and, uh, um, where I've been based for some time now. And uh, I, uh, like most of Chaosium, uh, we all work remotely from home, and we're a very distributed company. Yeah, the, the, uh, the sun never rises on Chaosium is our is our motto uh, because there's always there's always somebody asleep or awake depending on where you are in the world. And you know right. we have uh, uh, myself and Lynn uh, Lynn Hardy who both work on Cthulhu uh, in the UK. We've got Jason Durrell who's in Germany, uh, Michael O'Brien in Australia, Jeff Richard in America, and so forth. And uh, so we're pretty pretty distributed, and we you know uh, sometimes. Uh, Sometimes uh, a little complicated getting us all together at the same time, as you can imagine, with all these different sort of time slots. But uh, we somehow manage it and uh, you know make it all work. That's uh, that's amazing that you guys are kind of all over the place. I knew um, that you have some folks here based in the U.S. I've uh, worked with uh, some Chaosium folks here um, before, and. Um, 
been very impressed with the team that you guys have. So uh, it, it's it's kind of awesome to see that you're all over the world as well. Oh sure, we we, we just uh, it's just you know, take us where you find us really in that in that sense. But uh, yeah, 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 it it all kind of uh, all kind of hangs together. We're not called the Chaosium for nothing, you know. It's, uh... Right, right, <laughs> right. Yes, exactly. I mean, you, it, it's hard to take over the world if you're not all over the world, right? Well, indeed, indeed. Yes. <laughs> just like just like Cthulhu's cultists, we are everywhere. So, exactly <laughs> very good very good uh well you know we uh, have a tradition here of starting with our geek week so um I, we'd love to hear from you how was your geek week mike well uh i guess the two things i would say is uh, first of all i've been uh rereading a novel that i've not read in many many moons uh and it's a novel by ray bradbury Oh. And it's called Something Wicked This Way Comes, which is, That's a um, great one. Which is as you say, a great classic. And uh, I'm just really enjoying it. I'm actually listening to it on Audible. And um, it's just a really great reading. Uh, the reader is, you know, doing the voices and playing the different characters really well. And um, it's just really taking me back to my childhood when I first read it. And uh, it just reminded me how great a... Uh, a storyteller Ray Bradbury was, and uh, it's just a shame he's not with us anymore. But uh, but his work, uh, you know, stands stands tall. And uh, if you've not read it, you know, if anyone out there listening has never read any Ray Bradbury or, or something wicked this way comes, it's uh, you know, I heartily recommend it. That's that's one thing I've been doing. Uh, I guess yeah. the other thing, uh, the other thing I did the uh, the other night was uh, I've been running a uh, Call of Cthulhu game for some friends uh, and we've actually been running Down Darker Trails, which is our oh, yeah. Wild West uh, kind of late 1800s Call of Cthulhu setting, you know, cowboys and so forth. And uh, they're currently uh, making their way very slowly through uh, one of our published campaigns called Shadows Over Stillwater, you know, dealing with uh, the rising dead and, and strange occurrences and, you know, and, and all that kind of thing. And uh, they really, uh, uh, they've only just started to get an idea of what's actually going on. And they're now just literally headed into the belly of the beast. Uh, and uh, I'm not sure how <laughs> how much further they're going to get. But we are, we are playing, uh, we're playing the kind of pulp Cthulhu version of the game. Um, so they have slightly tougher characters, and uh, uh, which has been good so far, because they, they, they may have died already if they hadn't been right. tough characters. So yeah, we're really enjoying that. That's a good fun. And playing with some you know old time friends on that, so uh, it's been good to just get together and uh, enjoy a game. Really, I love the fact that you guys are like, I mean, you write Cthulhu, you you know, you you do it, but you run it with your friends, right? Like, I think it's easy to be like, oh my gosh, this is work, and I just kind of need to leave it at home, or or leave leave work at work because I I, I do so much and I'm not going to play it at home. But uh, the fact that you're playing it, I think, is is awesome. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, obviously, <laughs> I kind of get arm twisted a lot of the time. If, you know, if I'm, uh, <laughs> if I'm up for running a game, people, most of the time, people want me to run Call of Cthulhu, funnily enough. Uh, but, you know, I do run other games as well. But, uh, but uh, you know, often friends will say, oh, can you, could you run some Cthulhu for us? So it's hard to, uh, hard to say no when, uh, you know, as you say, even though I'm working on the game pretty much all the time, it's still, it's still good fun to take off the editor's hat and just, actually be a keeper again and, and enjoy that so uh, yeah yeah that's a that's that's awesome um for for mikey week i started a um seminar it's called the storytelling collective seminar 
and uh, basically it is a 30-day writing seminar on getting a published adventure done for Call of Cthulhu. So um, I started this, uh, this I, yeah, like I said, seminar, and um, you know, it's got modules that uh, pop up every day uh, that kind of get you thinking through, you know, what's your environment like, what are the villains like, um, you know, what kind of conflicts are you planning to have in there, um, helping you come up with some ideas. So the idea that I'm fleshing out right now for my uh, adventure that I'm trying to write is... Um, it's funny that you talk about Down Darker Trails uh, it being, you know, set kind of the, you know, the Western cowboy type stuff. Uh, my setting is, uh, I'm calling it Bonanza in the Sierras. And um, it is a an adventure that takes place in Virginia City, Nevada. Um, and uh, the miners there that had a big boom in the late 1800s, uh, they dug a little too deep. <laughs> and and they found some things they probably shouldn't have. Oh, so that great. Yeah, that I'm excited great. about it. Um, because it draw. I grew I grew up in um in Reno, Nevada, which is um just over the mountains from San Francisco out west, uh, and just 30 minutes north of Virginia City, where they had this big silver boom, um, in the late 1800s. There was so much silver that came out of this mine that they um, permanently altered the price of silver in the world. <laughs> wow. From this like from this like one mine that, that that they got it from, so um, a lot of a lot of cool history there, uh, you know, that I thought I could draw on for the adventure and uh, you know make it uh, make it a little eldritchy, I guess, uh, in the adventure. So I'm excited about that because it's really getting my um, Call of Cthulhu hat on and thinking about like how what makes a good adventure and and how do we how do we work through that. Yeah, that's great. And the Storytelling Collective uh, program is really great. I think this is the um, the third time it's now run. And it's been amazing to see the people uh, who have taken the course then, you know, self-publishing their, you know, Cthulhu scenarios onto the Miskatonic repository on DriveThruRPG. It's just been yeah. fantastic to see people not just kind of, you know, going through the course, but actually producing something at the end of it. It's, it's fantastic. So uh, I hope... Uh, I hope you have a good time going through it and uh, find that find the process you know useful. Yeah, so far it's been really interesting. Uh, obviously, I've written you know a lot of homebrew one shot things, right? I've I've done it yeah. for D and D. I've done it for um, uh, Shadow of the Demon Lord system. Uh, I've done it for uh, the uh, Rogue Trader campaign that we had. Uh, you know, I've done it for so many different systems. Um, I, but this is one where I'm like, okay, let's sit down and actually publish, uh, you know, one of these homebrew one shots that I, I think would be amazing and, and like do a like professional job about it. So I think story, the storytelling collective is really good about getting you to flesh it out more than just, uh, all right, we're going to throw together a couple scenarios and have a good time tonight. Right. And actually sure. put it together a more polished, uh, product at the end. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, well, uh, all the best of luck with that. Yeah, thank you. Um, the other thing is um, that I am running a Warcry, uh, which is a Warcry event. It's the skirmish game from Games Workshop, uh, the fantasy skirmish game. And so I did a whole bunch of prepping for that. I've, I'm getting together the final tournament packet. Um, there's a big uh, tabletop um, 
a tabletop miniatures uh, wargaming convention here in the D.C. area. That's where we're based out of here in Virginia. Um, and uh, it's called the Northern Virginia Open. And so I was doing a whole bunch of prep for that because I've got a, a bunch of people playing our uh, our game. And so I've got to make sure that we're ready. It's uh, That'll kick off uh, in the end of... Well, it's the beginning of September. It's the convention, so got to get all the stuff out to the players so they know what to do. So, lots <laughs> yeah. of work on gaming stuff. Uh, do no, you ever play great. any? Uh, sorry, do you ever play any um, like uh, skirmish games or tabletop war games or anything like yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, I, I to be honest, I used to do a lot more than I do or have time for these days. But mm -hmm. uh, you know, as you mentioned before, I you know I previously worked for Games Workshop, so I, I did a lot of miniature gaming and painting yeah. at the time, and uh, and before that as well. But uh, Nowadays, um, I have a little less time, you know, what with the, the work I do with Chaosium and, and whatnot. But, um, but you know, I still I still enjoy uh, a good skirmish game now and again. And uh, I've got very fortunate. I have some, you know, ex-colleagues from Games Workshop who have uh, still got, you know, plenty of miniatures. And uh, and so, uh, you know, I get the chance to uh, to play with those guys once in a while, whether it's, you know, cowboys or some sort of uh, fantasy skirmish or even woodland animals or whatever right. it may be and uh yeah that's no, good fun i mean i still uh, i still enjoy painting miniatures uh you know again when i get the chance it's just again i just don't get that much time these days but uh but i do uh, do enjoy it yeah uh i was gonna say based out of uh nottingham where you're at you're not too far away from games workshop headquarters well that's right we're, i mean traditionally we're in the uh, what's called the lead belt because uh, you know you've got Games Workshop right in the middle, and then um, you've got a lot of uh, newer and smaller uh, miniature games, you know, war games companies that have kind of birthed out of Games Workshop, you know, with uh, employees who've left to start up their own companies and so on. So there's a lot of small companies around the area as well. So whatever kind of miniature style or war game you you know you, you're into, then uh, somebody local is is doing it really. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, uh, there's um, yeah, there's like footsaw miniatures and and uh, and so forth. But yeah, they're, they're all doing really cool, interesting kind of new things as well. So it's always a you know it's a it's an interesting place to be, definitely. You know, I think um, I, I think gaming in general is in a, is in an interesting place right now, uh, just because you've got you had a whole bunch of companies that were sort of the four, you know, forerunners. Uh, games Workshop being a big one for obviously miniature miniature games. But with all of these little companies that have branched off like you said, you know, former employees that decided to go out on their own and either start their own game or miniatures line or or something like that. Um it is uh I think a boon for the gaming industry in general uh because You've got a lot of, you know, you got a lot of people pushing boundaries that uh, just wasn't there before. Yeah, and it's just that kind of you've got a real range of choice as well. You know, whether mm -hmm. it's even even just in the kind of selecting miniatures and using a kind of a you know a mismatch of different from different kind of companies that kind of to build the kind of uh, game or or kind of troop of characters that you want to use, as well as the kind of varied you know rule sets as well. I mean, the you know, Warlord games and Mantic and. Yeah. You know, there's so, there's so many, uh, so many really great companies out there doing really cool and interesting things. So, yeah, we kind of sport for joys. It's a kind of a bit of a, a golden age in that sense, I guess. For sure, for sure. So, um, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about you, sort of your background. We we talked to, 
we 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 did a bit of an intro, but um, how did you how did you originally get into into gaming? You've been doing this for a long time, obviously, but uh, where where did it all start? Uh, well, it was uh, <laughs> I knew nothing about tabletop, you know, war, well, uh, role playing uh, when I you know when I first discovered it, and I, I discovered it through a friend. A friend was having a birthday party and invited me round and said we're going to play a game. Uh, which I thought he meant something like Monopoly or some that right. kind of board game, <laughs> uh, and uh, and we turned up and they had these miniatures and these kind of cardboard, you know, dungeon floor plans and um, um, you know we were you know, playing wizards and fighters and I just remember there was loads of skeleton miniatures and we just kept fighting skeletons and um, <laughs> and uh, I, you know I literally I knew nothing about it but I had a really great time doing it and I loved the miniatures and. I love the whole sense of this playing this kind of fantasy world and you could, you know, uh, you know, I was always a big fan of films like, you know, Jason and the Argonauts and, and, uh, and the Golden Fleece and all that kind of thing. And yeah. so they, it was like, you know, this was like the film on the table. It was fantastic. So um, I was just completely hooked from that moment really. And then, and then, you know, then kind of found out more about, you know, these are games you could buy the rules for and you could get the miniatures and these crazy dice. And, um, you know, I then you know found out where you could get them from. You know, found a local store that did them, and uh, and really, you know, just started. You know, obviously, I, like most people at the time, we started playing Dungeons and Dragons, and but then that soon kind of expanded into other things. You know, RuneQuest and Traveller were there as well, and uh, mm -hmm. and and you know, I just was hooked, and uh, and that's really where I started. Yeah, that's uh, it. It's interesting we always have a friend that hooks us in somehow right like uh <laughs> i oh, yeah. uh <laughs> i was listening to uh i i got into tabletop gaming probably a little bit later in life than some other folks um i didn't start playing maybe until about like five or six years ago really um yeah. you know well into my um adulthood i had kids at the time and all that stuff and my friend said hey why don't you come play a a role-playing game and i'm just thinking like nerd <laughs> you know and like why would yeah. i do that and i go and play and i'm like yeah okay this is what i've been missing you know so <laughs> this is the good stuff yeah 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 no absolutely no I, I mean i was a bit younger i was i guess i was about somewhere 11 to 12 years old back in this is the late 1970s um uh -huh. so the dawn the you know the the, the dawn of role-playing really but um but I've been kind of doing it ever since <laughs> for my sins, yeah. So you you survived through the um, '80s and the Satanic Panic and all of the uh, you know all of the the misconceptions of what role playing games were and and survived today to where you know you go down Los Angeles and you see billboards for Critical Role episodes and uh, yeah you know, we, we live in a amazing. different world now <laughs> it is completely amazing I, mean, I could never have dreamed that uh you know tabletop games in this way would would be this kind of thing that they are nowadays you know as you say these kind of billboards and so forth i mean that would just never entered uh, the realm of possibility you know back in the day in the 80s i mean obviously um you know the uk did have a little bit of that kind of whole satanic panic in some of our kind of you know tabloid newspapers but it really wasn't the same to the same level or degree that perhaps uh some people felt it in the in the in the u.s right uh, it really it wasn't it wasn't as big a thing certainly over here and it was a, pretty much a flash in the pan 
and everyone just kind of looked at it and went oh whatever and uh, <laughs> and then uh, and then carried on you know but um yeah so it wasn't really a, a big thing for us in that way but uh but yeah no it's just it's just amazing and uh, we definitely uh we're definitely in a, a great period for you know for gaming in that sense as, as being recognized as a real you know it's a as a, a great way to hang out with friends and, and make new friends and socialize. And, um, you know, it's not just this kind of crazy nerdy thing that, you know, that group at school did anymore. It's kind of, you know, everyone's doing it. It's which is, which is great, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Now you, I mean, you obviously have been playing for a while. What, um, what pushed you into, uh, getting into the storytelling aspect and start writing your own adventures and, and things like that? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, like anyone else who was started off uh, playing D and D and those and those games at the time, you know, we were, you know, all creating dungeons and that. But you know, but that's not really designing a plot in the way it mm -hmm. is. You know, it's literally what you were designing is maps. You know, you're drawing maps and then filling it up with monsters and then letting players walk through them. It's not really the same as a plot in that sense. Right. Um, and um, I guess uh, starting to play things like RuneQuest, where there was a little bit more kind of characterization there was a bit more kind of around motivations of the npcs and and kind of plots going on started to kind of give me that kind of sense that you, know, you could tell you know interesting stories with these kind of games and mm -hmm. um and that really came to a head for me personally uh when i kind of discovered call of cthulhu and again a friend uh, a friend i gamed with kind of showed me these strange new books with these fantastic covers um that were clearly a kind of a horror role-playing game, which, and, and I, I was a big fan of horror films and horror stories, but I just not had not found that in the role-play. It was very much a, a fantasy or sci-fi kind of thing in terms of gaming at the time. Right. And so uh, with Call of Cthulhu and then kind of getting into that and reading the stories and the, the plots of the scenarios, I kind of figured that actually, yeah, that you can, you can tell a horror story, which is kind of what, what I wanted to do. And, um, and so I kind of, you know, I did the, I did the thing that was came, you know, easiest to me. I watched horror films and then rewrote them as Call of Cthulhu scenarios for my friends to play through. So I remember one was, uh, an old, an old film called the carnival of souls. That was one of the first things I just literally ripped it off and kind of ran that as a, as a game for my friends. And, you know, and then we would do kind of some kind of version of Halloween or Friday the 13th or whatever. Um, yeah. But but you know it was pretty clear that actually start, you know as more kind of Call of Cthulhu books came out from Chaosium that, that you know the plots were even better than just ripping off films. They had some really cool new plots, and so um, you know uh, it allowed us to you know engage with the stories that were written up, but but through that tell our own story, our own version of the plot, uh, which is you know what the heart of role playing is, isn't it? It's you know you have a you have a scenario with a kind of a plot or some sort of storyline, but it's about your interaction with that storyline that kind of creates something new, effectively. Um, and so that's that that really hooked me, and that's you know that's I got into writing scenarios uh, kind of along those lines, taking tips from you know the published material, and um, and started you know uh, some you know a few years later, then started to go to gaming conventions and. Um, running the kind of scenarios I'd written for, for, for people there. And uh, at the time, 
you know, while, you know, Call of Cthulhu was a well-known game, it wasn't particularly big on the UK convention circuit in terms of the numbers of games being offered. There was always people that wanted to play it, but there really wasn't that many uh, GMs running it at conventions. And so um, I, I kind of fell into a niche of being the Call of Cthulhu guy uh, that, you know, oh, people nice. would say, oh, please come and run more Cthulhu. Could you run more games, please? And um, and obviously, you know, one person can only run so much over a, you know, a couple of days at a convention. Uh, and so, you know, in, through play, through various sort of means, I found other other keepers and kind of twisted their arms. So why don't you come and run some games with me? And then there's two of us running a game at the show. And then, and then there's three of us and there's four of us. And so, you know, in due course, um, I kind of started a, a kind of a loose organization called the uh, Cult of Keepers, which is basically just a bunch of uh, Call of Cthulhu uh, keepers who would you know, we'd write scenarios and share them between us and then all go to the same convention and run all these scenarios and kind of, you know, make it into a kind of a little mini event within the within the uh, convention. And, uh, and you know, that, that worked really well. And um, it was a really good fun, really good fun. We, you know, and because you are effectively working with other writers of the scenarios mm-hmm. and designing them and, and kind of collaborating, it's, it was a really great kind of learning experience in terms of, you know, what makes a good scenario, what, what works, what works well as a convention scenario, you know, how, how much do you need to write, how, what do you need to include, how, how do you put a group of pre-generated characters together to, to really fit well with the scenario you're playing. And so all of those things were kind of lessons we kind of, you know, learned as we went through really to to kind of build better scenarios every year because obviously you know we'd run and then people would want us back and clearly we were doing something that was okay and people were enjoying the game so they you know we kept getting us back uh to do to do various uh call of Cthulhu games so yeah that's kind of um how things kind of started to morph into a you know it wasn't a job but it was a kind of a, a hobby plus i guess you know we weren't yeah. just playing at home we were we were actually actually organising, you know, to run games at, at conventions. So it became that kind of added, added bit of work, I guess, which we all like doing because we just were having so much fun. Yeah. So uh, my the the question that that stuck out to me as you were talking is: is the uh, cult of keepers still a thing? No, it kind of uh, it kind of ran its course, um, and um, we we kind of got to a point where. You know, not everyone, you know, people were having different things happen in their lives, like getting married or moving jobs or all that kind of, you know, usual life stuff happens. Uh, and, real life. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, there's only so much you can do. And also, I, I think also I started to work at Games Workshop at that point. And again, okay. my time um, was diminished in that way because I was working in, you know, in the industry in that sense. And so, um my focus kind of pretty much shifted onto uh, GW kind of things. Uh, and I kind of just still role played Call of Cthulhu in my own time with you know, my home group kind of thing. And so it kind of fell back to that kind of, that kind of pattern. Um, yeah. And uh, so the kind of uh, culture keepers kind of, you know, had, had run its course by then. So uh, we had talked about uh, early, early on, um, the fact that uh, our group had played Rogue Trader, which was sort of the spiritual successor of Dark Heresy RPG, the Warhammer 40k uh, RPG, and uh, you had worked on the uh, Warhammer Fantasy RPG as well. Uh, what was it like um, 
with those two RPGs that you worked on, what was it like translating a tabletop, you know, essentially war game into an RPG? Yeah, sure. I mean, it was, um, it was certainly an issue we faced when we were putting Dark Heresy together. Less mm-hmm. so with Warmer Fancy Roleplay because um, a lot of the kind of heavy lifting and work uh, had and was being done by the uh, by the great team at uh, Green Running, who were uh, effectively licensed to produce a lot of the warmer fancy material for Games yeah. Workshop at the time. And so my role was really just kind of overseeing that and, and helping out with proofreading and that kind of thing on that. Um, my main focus really while I was doing that role was was working on Dark Heresy, which was mm. um, uh, when I joined partly written but not finished. And uh, I was kind of brought in to kind of finish it and um, you know, make the book work, make the game work and, uh, and get it uh, into production. Um, but even at that stage, you know, I was still asking questions about, well, what, you know, everything written about the 40K universe is, is about war. Right. <laughs> it's all about the war game. Yep. So it doesn't tell you what happens, you know, in the Imperium, you know, what happens on your typical Imperium planet, what, what's daily life like, which obviously for a role-playing game set in the Imperium is kind of essential information. You know, how, how do we... How do we translate right. a war game into, you know, what, you know, what Joe does when he finishes work at the munitions factory? What does he do? Where does he live? How does it, how does it work? Um, and so we kind of had to kind of think about that. And we, you know, fortunate that there was a lot of um, black library fiction that kind of touched on some of this, particularly mm-hmm. uh, the work of Dan Abnett and the Eisenhorn series, which was, you know, uh, a mirror to the, uh, dark heresy game and that it was about an inquisitor you know traveling around the imperium and rooting out heresy and chaos and so that was a really good kind of template and model we could kind of uh, digest and kind of think about how that might work in a role-playing game in a sense so that helped to inform us uh, and um you know talking to the guys in the design studio who you know who were working on the war game stuff you know sort of bouncing ideas off people like Gaffthorpe and so on uh, it was really useful to kind of yeah. try to build that picture up. But ultimately, yeah, it, it was about, you know, um, really kind of tying the rules down and making the book, you know, uh, uh, and, you know, an enjoyable thing to look at, read and use as a game. That was, you know, most of my time was spent uh, getting that out into, uh, you know, to be published. One of the things that um, I loved when I picked up Call of Cthulhu and, and started playing it with my friends was uh how similar it felt to rogue trader right in terms of uh the gameplay mechanics and and things like that obviously it's not uh not the same game at all but uh there was uh some echoes of familiarity there that really helped me pick up cthulhu and say okay i understand how to run this game um with uh with uh, rogue trader just because you know sometimes porting from like uh, going from a, a d20 system to a D100 system and and uh, different things it can be a little challenging if you've never done it before. But uh, I I uh, we really enjoyed Rogue Trader and like I said we didn't play Dark Heresy but uh, Rogue Trader was essentially the same game just with a different um, different setting and 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 aspect about it. But uh, it was a lot of fun um, and uh, I was pleasantly surprised to see that you had worked on you know worked on these games that we had played as well. Sure, sure. Yeah, my name 
appears in strange places sometimes. But yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> thematically, you know, the the kind of 40k RPG uh, that we you know that worked on Rogue Trader that that became uh, sorry Dark Heritage became Rogue Trader. Um, you know, thematically is very you know is a, is a is a you know thematically very similar to Call of Cthulhu. It's an investigative type of game. Yeah. It's got horror in it, um, and so you know thematically they're very similar. So it's a very it's a very easy transition, and again, because it's a D100 system, which the reason for that was that you know the original Warmer Fancy Roleplay was a D100 system, and mm-hmm. um, and uh, so there's a lot of um, you know DNA that's very similar to you know the the basic roleplay system that Chaosium created, that kind of you know found its way into uh, Warmer Fancy Roleplay at the time, and then um, thematically, you know, obviously my head's full of Cthulhu plots. Um, and it's pretty. It's it's not a it's not a hard task to, you know, take out Cthulhu and put in a Chaos God instead, and right. um, you know, and but you've still got the kind of sense of exploration and mystery and delving into uh, things people don't want to know about. So, um, so yeah, it's a it's a it's a very uh, it's a very uh, very close thematically in that way and uh, an easy translation really. You know, I I don't know if I had ever put together, um, like or juxtaposed Cthulhu with the chaos gods and kind of the, you know, the idea of like the role of the, you know, the, the, the investigators and like an inquisitor. I I don't think I'd ever thought about that, but it makes so much sense when you say it right now. Um, Because I, you know, the Eisenhorn series of the black library and games workshop was very much um, a, I mean, you could, you could absolutely call that a Cthulhu uh you know story that oh, if you, sure, if you yeah. just switch some things around you know and, and in fact if you read um some of dan abnett's books pretty closely you will find little little easter eggs to uh you know the cthulhu mythos in there from time to yeah. time because dan, yeah dan dan knows his cthulhu mythos pretty well as well so uh that's awesome you, you get little easter eggs once in a while so they, you know genetically they, they are you know they they share some dna definitely so a lot of our listeners say they, they play D and D, they play Pathfinder, they play A D and D, like that type of thing. So, you know, a lot of D D twenty based systems, uh, and they see Cthulhu and they say, okay, I'm kind of curious about the system, but I'm not hundred percent sure of what it is. Um, can you give us like just a super brief overview for our listeners who aren't as familiar with Call of Cthulhu? Like, what are the bones of this of this game system? Yeah, sure. I mean, I really easier way to think about this is the uh the difference between a d20 and a d100 die roll Mm -hmm. is really multiplying by five if you if you take a d20 number in a d20 game and times it by five you've created a d100 version of that number Uh, and likewise if you've got a d100 number and you divide it by five you've got a number you can roll on a d20 so just just technically speaking the, the numbers really translate very easily. It's, it's just right. it's just a matter of different dice, and so the the basic role play system, which is the the bones of what Call of Cthulhu uses as a mechanic, is a D one hundred dice system. So you're rolling two D tens, and using one as a a tens die. So if you roll a four, that's a forty, mm-hmm. uh, and the other die is a units die. So if you roll four and four, well that's forty four, or rolling you know. Uh, eight and two, 82, that's your percentile number. And so the skills are all based on a hundred. So um, you've got, let's say you've got climb 70%. Uh, 
you're just rolling a D100 and you're trying to equal or roll less than your skill level of 70%. So, yeah. uh, and also because it's a percentile system, it's pretty intuitive. People can understand what the numbers mean pretty quickly. If I say you've got climb at 70%, well, you, you hopefully you're gonna, gonna guess that that's, that means you've got a pretty good skill in climb, as opposed to me saying you've, you've got climb at uh, 5%, well, you know, out of 100, that's pretty low. You're not a very good climber. Right. <laughs> so it, it's, it, you know, you can look at a character and once you understand the numbers are all out of 100, uh, you can pretty quickly see what your character is good at doing and what they're really bad at doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, uh, and rather than levels, like in a game like D&D, it, it doesn't use levels. It, it just uses a skill-based system. So you roll up your character and you have a range of skills, you know, there'll be a handful of skills which you're pretty good at, uh, a majority of skills where you kind of got a medium range, of, you know, somewhere between 40, 40 and 50 percent. Mm-hmm. And then there'll be, a, you know, a few skills where you, you know, you're hopeless at, you know, you've got no skill in them or you <laughs> literally got one percent in them kind of thing. Um, and as you go through the game, the more you do, uh, you use these skills and as you use them, you get checks on them. And so when you come to a development phase, maybe at the end of the adventure, uh, you get to test your skill and um, you make a roll. And if you pass the roll, you you add skill points to your skill. So you progress and your character becomes better at certain things. And mm-hmm. um, and that's the kind of the, the nuts and bolts of the system. The, 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 and, the, and again, you know, uh, fighting works just the same way you know you have a you have rounds you all have a turn in a round uh and um uh it's a it's an opposed roll system so you know me and you are fighting uh, i'm initiating an attack i roll my dice see if i you know roll under my fighting skill you get to decide whether you're going to try and dodge my roll or if you're going to fight back and you make the appropriate die roll. We compare the results. Did you do better than me, or did I do better than you? Who won the combat? You know, and therefore uh, deals damages or, or you know, dodges and avoids the blow, kind of thing. So it's, it can be quite, you know, uh, fast moving. It often means that you know something always happens pretty much every round in a in a fight. And the I guess the other thing to say about uh, the Call of Cthulhu version of BRP is that the game is about regular people set in the in a kind of a mirror of the of the real world Mm -hmm. so uh just like in the real world if somebody you know runs you through with a sword you're gonna be hurt pretty badly if not die yeah or if somebody shoots you you're probably gonna die and so that is that's what the game is combat's like you are frail human beings just like we are in real life and so combat is deadly um, and so, um, you know, often, uh, again, like in real life, it's better to avoid combat or try and find a way out of it rather than to actually engage in it. So, um, and so, you know, the game, the game kind of, you know, builds around that, but equally, you know, sometimes, you know, the characters have to fight or they really want to, and, you know, they can, they can get into it, but it does mean that, uh, combat, um, shouldn't last, you know, all session. It should be fairly, you know, it should be, uh, Pretty self-contained, and you get a resolution reasonably quickly as well. Um, right. And uh, and the, you know there are you know there's lots of 
obviously you know, layers that you can add on you can do combat maneuvers where you're not actually trying to hurt someone but you're trying to gain some some sort of advantage it could be as simple as kicking sand in someone's eyes so they they're at a disadvantage <laughs> or right. you know grab, grabbing the weapon out of their hands or knocking them over and the rules kind of you know there's very simple rules to kind of do all that kind of thing um and then the the the, the key rule for call of cthulhu that kind of sets it apart uh and also kind of informs the kind of progression of the game is the sanity mechanic, which is a kind of, uh, in D&D &D speak, would be a kind of mental hit points, just like, you know, mm -hmm. hit points are a physical, you know, uh, monitor of how, you know, how well your character is physically. This is kind of a, the, the kind of mental health version, uh, because in the Cthulhu mythos, the kind of background to the game, you have these bizarre, alien kind of entities that that aren't that make no sense that the human mind can't really comprehend um and can't really um fit into their into their worldview of the universe you know they, they exist outside of our worldview so they make no sense to us and so we find it hard to kind of you know codify them and and, and so it kind of erodes you know, or corrupts our our kind of um sanity in, in terms of the characters in the games and they can do you know strange things or act out of character because of the kind of interaction with the mythos mm -hmm. and so um one of the key kind of um things to kind of understand about a game like call of cthulhu it's completely the opposite to most of the role-playing games in that sense because most of the role-playing games is about kind of kind of building your character become to become more powerful more more like a almost like a superhero so like a you know a, right a first level fighter is pretty weak and so but the whole point of the game is to grow that fighter to be 10th or 20th or 30th level mm -hmm. at which point they can they can take on you know titans and you know gods and whatnot you know they literally become superheroes in that sense call of cthulhu is reverse of that you start a, as a, a an average human being and through your interaction with the mythos um you kind of weaken yourself it, it affects you right. because remember it's a horror game it isn't about becoming a superhero it's about standing up to these horrors and these unbelievable kind of alien entities that where you really have no chance so that so the heart of, heart of the game is is the story you tell in in why and how you do stand up to these things and and how your your small victories are you know, help to save mankind and humanity for, you know, another day or another year or another 10 years before the mythos finally comes and, you know, gobbles us all up kind of thing. And so it's a very heroic struggle because we're dealing with characters who don't have a lot. Okay, so as I had um, uh, mentioned a little bit previously, uh, we had a little bit of a uh, we had a little bit of an issue with our audio here, so we're kind of re-recording a, a little bit, but that's okay. Um, as I had mentioned earlier, Micah, we had a game where uh, one of our guys he had um, he had a background where his wife had been killed by vampires, and uh, he was basically pushed into poverty and and complete completely destitute because he tried to expose them in the city that he was at and so he was this hobo that was running around and 
the amazing thing was is that um, because he is a normal person, because he wasn't like some sort of superhero, and because his mind was slowly descending into madness over all of these things that he was uncovering, uh, they get into a scenario where they're at a cabin and he hears the crooning of the supernatural being basically in the voice of his wife beckoning him to come out and and be with her again and of course he fails his sanity role and what what happens he goes out there and has to end up fighting this undead creature that uh, that lured him out um he ended up winning which was amazing he ended up having an amazing critical role on his uh, on his attack and beheading the monster but because he was so distraught by it he decided to jump in the car and drive away and he was terrible at driving and he ended up fumbling the roll and crashing the car 50 feet you know after he started driving so <laughs> it, it was it was a pretty uh pretty epic moment in our story and um what i absolutely loved about it is that you know our our players were able to play with that sanity mechanic and 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 not feel like oh my gosh like I don't understand why my person is failing at their roles because they're so superhuman, right? Like uh, yeah. if you're playing a and d game and you're like a level 18 and you're failing your hit rolls, you're thinking like, wow, I'm rolling terrible tonight. I think at the end of a, a at the end of an adventure or a campaign that you're playing with Cthulhu, you're, if you're failing your hit rolls, you're like, well, this makes sense because they're literally going crazy right now. Sure, sure. I mean, and you, you hit the nail on the head when you mentioned the word story and about how much you all enjoyed that kind of outcome to that scene. Yeah. That the character actually, you know, that there was a, you know, they, they they kind of they failed a role that made that kind of pushed them to engage with the monster in a way that they hadn't anticipated or wanted to, but mm -hmm. they did. And then through some sort of luck, they managed to kind of you know get out of that. But then, uh, you know, but then ultimately, you know, the character kind of you know was killed or went insane or whatever it is but it was it was a fun experience because it made sense to the story you were telling and and story is the heart of call of cthulhu it's about telling the story of that particular game and uh, and, and and understanding how we got to those outcomes and in a good call of cthulhu game it, the outcomes are, are, are pretty much based on the choices that the players are making it's not it's not what's being imposed on them by the gm or keeper it's right. about the choices and the consequences and that's what makes call of cthulhu a really interesting and fun game in that sense is because there are consequences to the way you as a as uh, how you play your character and the roles you make it isn't just you know plain sailing all the while you've got to deal with difficult things and the difficult thing at the very you know simplest form is that you make a bad dice roll and so what you know the consequences of that will will affect what happens next. And so um, and so the story turns in a different direction or an unexpected way. So how do you deal with that now? And and so, right. you know, it's a real kind of, you know, um, interesting kind of dynamic. And, um, and it, you know, and it does mean that, you know, characters, you know, go out of the game because they, you know, they fall completely insane and are unable to kind of do anything else or, or the character dies because the vampire, you know, rips out their throat or whatever it may be. <laughs> right. uh, and, and uh, but, but the, you, you know, the player, you know, how did I get here? How did I, how did they end it like this? But it all makes sense in the context of the story that they've told and they can, they can, so they, so they feel satisfied at the end that actually, yeah, 
that was a great story for that character. It, it ended in a really, you know, uh, appropriate way that I can get behind and, and kind of enjoy that because of that. It, it didn't happen because there was no reason. It didn't purely happen because of one bad dice roll. I can see, I can see how the story got to this point, and so it's satisfying. And so, just like in a horror film, you know, there's, the, you know, characters die, but but there's a reason why they die. Mm-hmm. And um, and so in Call of Cthulhu, it's about you know, understanding that story and getting the most out of it, whether your character dies or not. You know, get it, if your character survives, it's a story of how did they do that? How did they get out of this? How did they how did they manage to you know win the day in this in that sense? It's just as you know, just as important as a story as, as the characters that kind of fell on the way, um, and um, you know, and and you know part of the game uh, the mechanics behind the game kind of try to help people in terms you know if you lose a character in the game you know what who do you start playing next mm-hmm. uh, which can you know sometimes be a problem with games like call of Duty where character death is a little bit more you know possible um and so you know within the mechanics and the and the, and the guidance for the game there are things like um investigator organizations mm-hmm. that uh, so if you imagine like a, a maybe a family of monster hunters or a government agency or some sort of uh supernatural detective agency are all working together and of which the characters in play are just one part of that organization so if your character kind of leaves the game for whatever reason um, there's an instant kind of replacement character you can bring in, somebody different, but who's a part of the organization who understands what's going on and can be up to speed very quickly and, and join the game. And so you're not left kind of hanging, thinking, well, how do I, how do I introduce a new character into this? You know? And so uh, that's one way that we do it. There's also uh, an optional rule where you can use your luck points to actually adjust the die roll. So it may be that you failed that die roll, but you've got enough luck left to actually turn that into a success and kind of you know get you know save uh, get victory out of the jaws of defeat and uh, but it does mean now that your luck is you know gone and so you can't do it again because you know you've used all your luck up so again it's a bit like uh, you know your sanity points you know you start may start reasonably high but they drain through the game just like your luck points do which kind of mirrors that kind of downward spiral of the kind of horror you know, trope, the horror film, the horror novel, where characters, you know, start well, but they kind of, you know, downward spiral as they kind of get in deeper into the into the situation and the horror. Um, there's also one other kind of option for, for, for players who, you know, want to try and keep their characters alive longer. Um, they could use the Pulp Cthulhu rules. Mm-hmm. Um, and Pulp Cthulhu is a, a supplement uh, that you can kind of bolt onto the main Call of Cthulhu rules really easily. Um, and it allows you to kind of create kind of slightly larger than life pulp heroes. So uh, uh, I guess the best way to examine that would be to sort of say, imagine a kind of an Indiana Jones style kind of character fighting the Cthulhu mythos. So somebody who's a bit more skilled, they've got double the hit points of a normal character. Uh, and so they have a little bit more agency within the game. And they're a little bit mm-hmm. more capable. And so their survival rate is a, is a bit stronger because they have, they can also, with the pulp rules, use their luck points in, in, in different ways as well. Kind of more things that they can regain sanity points or they can regain look, hit points by burning some of their luck as well as using luck to adjust the die rolls. So there's more agency within the pulp style of play. And often if players are coming from a more kind of 
standard kind of fantasy heroic style game where the characters just generally get better rather than worse. Uh, pulp can be a really good kind of uh, gateway into Call of Cthulhu because they're playing characters that aren't, that aren't quite as frail and weak as normal Call of Cthulhu characters. They can do a little bit more and their survival rate is, is, is better because of those things. And so it's an easier kind of adjustment into the kind of style of Call of Cthulhu, which mm -hmm. if they then like, they can give the kind of standard version of Call of Cthulhu go where, where you know, all bets are off and, you know, combat is really deadly and their choices really have, you know, significant consequences often. So, um, uh, but at the end of the day, you know, with all of these things, it's like I said at the start and, and, and you said, it, it's about telling a fantastic story. And as we know in stories, characters come and go for various reasons. And so, you know, the Call of Cthulhu kind of rules set up that as an idea and provides you with a, a, a range of kind of guidance and mechanics to, to either embrace that fully or negate it into whatever degree that you want to do that with. Yeah, I uh, I had asked you before uh, when our when our audio had cut out, but I had asked you before um, if you felt like the criticism of a campaign, lack of campaign in Cthulhu was fair. And uh, I think you you answered all of that amazingly. I I think that it's not fair. It's it's all on how the keeper is able to craft that 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 longer narrative, right? More than just a one shot. I think Cthulhu works great as a one shot. It could be you know uh, investigatory, as we talked about before. It could be uh, a horror like with zombies and all that stuff that that happens. But you know, you could you could even take the uh, as you mentioned, like almost like the the TV show Supernatural, right? Take that route where your monster hunters going from job to job, and you've got like there's other monster hunters out there. So when one dies, you can come up with another one. And uh, one of the one of the big things I've talked about a lot on this show and with friends is that I always feel like our role playing games need to feel like they have consequences to choices. Um, and some of the, and, and because of, because when games have consequences to choices, the choices feel more real and the play, uh, ends up being more engaging in my opinion. Um, because if you just can go in and, and, you know, lay waste to whatever dungeon you're crawling in and basically, tell all the townspeople whatever you want because you're more powerful than they are and there's nothing that they can do about it, then, like, what are we, what are we really playing here, you know? Oh, no, like... sure. Absolutely. No, I mean, and again, you know, this is not to say that, you know, playing a game, you know, a fancy game where you are about kind of creating a more powerful character is bad. I mean, that's, that's, that's fun as well. But yeah, this absolutely. Is this is a different style of game and so you know you can enjoy both or, or maybe you enjoy one more than the other that that's all cool we all like different things but um but ultimately as you say the it, it, that the consequences of play and, and and uh developing that shared story of how you interact with this plot is you know is is what the game is about it, and, and to be honest no one you know you meet you meet in the bar Ten five years later, after you played, you know this Call of Cthulhu game, you aren't talking about 
how you all the successes you made you talk about do you remember when your character <laughs> fell off that cliff and you you had the artifact and you you tried to save it but we lost it and it smashed on the ground and we were we were in real trouble and or how you know, how cthulhu got hold of your character and squeezed him like a lemon that's what you talk about you talk about the great death yep. scenes you talk about the fun and you talk about the things you didn't expect would happen but but are the things that stay with you forever um oh, and they're the kind of war stories you tell when you play call of cthulhu and um and you know it's fun because people enjoy telling the stories. They, they, I have people coming up to me at conventions telling me about how their character died and how much fun it was and all that kind of thing. So, so you know, it can be that if you approach it with the kind of right mindset and you embrace the sense of story in the game, it's, it, it's a cool thing. But, you know, I should just say, you know, in terms of campaigns for Call of Cthulhu, you know, Call of Cthulhu has one of the, if not the, you know, most celebrated role-playing campaign ever written you know for any game called masks of nilathotep mm -hmm. which which um which is you know regarded as a, a real classic and one of the kind of campaigns that set a template for the entirety of the industry uh, and you know uh, a couple of years ago we actually revisited that campaign and put out a new edition and um you know it, it, you know hopefully improved it even more um but that's a that's a fantastic campaign that could take you anywhere from well, depending on how often you play, anywhere from a year to you know three years to actually play the whole thing through, um, because it's such a massive campaign, world-spanning, and mm -hmm. you know characters will die on the way, but it, but it's that grand story that you're telling, and uh, uh, and so it's you know I think Call of Cthulhu is a fantastic campaign game because it it really allows the characters to kind of re allows you to get really deep into the characters and tell their stories. And even if their story ends part of the way, you, you can, you know, you've got, a, you've got ways and means to pick up a new character to integrate into that story and tell, and now tell their story as well. Yeah. And Hey, it's really cool. If you manage to go through the entirety of the campaign and not lose your character though, well, that, that's, that's equally cool as well. So I think, you know, as I say, it's a very flexible game and, it works beautifully as a campaign game and it works equally as beautiful as a one-shot game. It just comes yeah. down to what kind of experience you you and your group are looking for. And I think it comes down to the keeper managing expectations too, right? Like when you sit down um, and go to play a Star Wars RPG game, and, and I've, I've got plenty to say about Star Wars RPG because uh, one of our hosts, one of our regular hosts, is um, like probably one of the foremost... Uh, um knowledgeable people about this star wars rpg like he, he's got it all memorized i give him a hard time that like you can't die in that game it is impossible to die so you can make the most ridiculous choices and you can't die right it's kind of a running joke mm -hmm. on our show um and so you know you go into when you go into prep that game with them it's all about like okay how can you be the hero like how are you going to optimize your character to be like the galactic hero here uh, I think when you go to prep a Call of Cthulhu campaign, or um, I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Shadow of the Demon Lord. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. RPG. Rob, yep. Rob Schaub's game, yeah, it's exactly. Great game. Yeah. So we yeah. we played that game for I ran that game for a long time, and um, that that game has a I mean it's kind of a successor to the Warhammer Fantasy. Uh, it's got a lot of a lot of feel of that too, but mm. that's a game that has real consequences to choices in there as well and so when i prepped that game uh the campaign that we we're using i said hey your characters are probably going to die in this game yeah, so yeah. why don't you have two 
at all times, just in case, in yeah, case sure, you die sure. mid game, you know, and just, just yeah. be ready, just be ready to pull out your backup character. And, um, having gone into the game, into the campaign that way, our characters were obviously like sad when their character died, but it wasn't the end of the world either. Right. Like they, no, absolutely. they knew that they were good. They would go out in a blaze of glory and we'd start another story. And that, that to me is, that to me is a lot of fun about playing games like this is that you get to tell that character story. And if it's done before the end of the campaign, well, you get to tell another character story, which can be just as fun, if not more. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, and there's no reason why, you know, Call of Cthulhu, if you're playing a campaign, that you, you have an A and a B team in some ways. Yeah. And that's what that's what these investigator organizations that I mentioned are all about in that sense. It also allows you to kind of cut between between different groups. You can have your main play group, and it may be you need, you need someone with expertise to go and break in somewhere, and your characters are all, you know, professors and librarians who aren't really good at that kind of thing. Well, maybe you use the B team and actually for that session, you actually swap your characters and you'll play, you'll play these kind of more shady characters who, who undertake the breaking on behalf of the other group. And, and so there's lots of ways you can make the story multi-layered in that way. Mm. Um, yeah. But the, the, the other thing to say um, that, uh, you know, I think as being a keeper in Call of Cthulhu, it isn't, it isn't about you versus the players. It isn't about you trying to trip the players up and right. you know kill all the characters. It isn't that kind of combative style of game. It's about a collaborative approach. Yes, you are playing, you know, nasty monsters and villains that want to you know kill or harm the player characters. Mm -hmm. But but you know, you know, I'm not saying you, know, you 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 pull your dice rolls in that sense. But you are collaborating on the story and again just just as like the players have got to understand and and you know realize their consequences to their choices the keeper's got to do that as well and understand how to you know what what if i do this now will it kind of will it you know prematurely end the game because i you know i kind of went in too strong should i kind of right. balance it a little bit more i don't know you know you have those choices to make as a keeper to help to help shape the story as well so as I say, it's a shared kind of experience uh, in in that way. That's a that's a fantastic point. Uh, that's a that's a great point that the keepers got as much responsibility of the choices that they make um, for the game as as the players. So I think that's uh, that's great. Uh, one of the things that just came out uh, last week, I believe, was the 40th anniversary of the starter set. Um, uh, or sorry, it's the 40th anniversary edition of the starter set for uh, Call of Cthulhu. And I'm going to be honest with you, this is one of my favorite starter sets of any RPG I have ever played. It is amazing. Well, that's that's very kind of you. Uh, it's, uh, it's uh, yeah, I enjoyed, I enjoyed, I really enjoyed working on the starter set. It's been something that I've wanted to do for many years. And uh, it was great to get the opportunity to kind of put together what I felt was a was a good way to introduce people not only to Call of Cthulhu, but for those people that never role played to yeah. you know, find a way to help people get into tabletop role playing and and ultimately you know the Call of Cthulhu games. So you know it kind of um, it works to basically take you from zero into being uh, a full Call of Cthulhu keeper. You know that's the idea uh, as well as players, and uh, that's why the first book you pick up. Uh, out of the box is a is a solo adventure. So you get home having you know having bought the box set. You don't have to wait weeks to get some friends together to play and start to get a 
to get a handle on the game, you can start immediately. You can literally open the book to you know page two. Uh, you've got some dice in the box to use as well. And literally you start playing a kind of a choose your own style adventure, uh, which not only teaches you how to play the game as you play it, it actually helps you make a character as you play it as well. So by the end of playing it through, you've got a you've got a pretty good initial handle on what the game is about, the style that it is, how the kind of core rules work, and you've even created a character. So, um, you know, which I felt was kind of really essential that I wanted people to kind of be able to just enjoy the game literally from the moment they get it rather than have to, you know, like traditionally with the role plays, you've got to read this book and then you've got to kind of figure right. out the rules and get your right. friends together and then teach them the rules. With, no, you could just start playing it straight away. And once you've done it, then you've got a friend who you want to introduce to, give them book one and get them to play the adventure too. So by the time you get together, everyone's got a kind of a, at least a baseline of idea of what the game is about and and that they know how to make a percentage roll and they know what a skill is and um and so it just kind of you know launches you straight in in a really easy uh, and quick way so yes absolutely one uh the the rule book that you have in there which is basically just like a, a quick start rule rule version of the the keeper book, right? The the seventh edition um, uh, yeah. keeper book. Uh, it I thought it was exceptionally well written, uh, very easy to digest, especially for someone who'd never played a role playing game before, right? Like you read through those little sections. It wasn't too onerous. It wasn't too heavy. Uh, I, it was easy to say, okay, I understand. And as you had mentioned earlier in the show, right, rolling a D100 and that percentile dice, I think was is very intuitive for someone who's never played before either. Because like you said, oh, I'm 70% at climbing. That's that's great. Like I, I know I can do well at that. So, yeah. um, so that was great. Uh, I cannot sing enough praises for your Lone Against the Flames solo adventure. <laughs> I I had so much fun playing that game. Uh, it, I literally I was like an eight year old kid again playing uh, my choose your own adventure. It it was very much like that style, and the fact that that uh, it was the Cthulhu and taught you how the game worked, how to build a character. By the time I got done with it, I hundred percent knew what kind of game I was playing, and how how i needed to work as a keeper for others to to play it as well so uh i i haven't ever seen that in any other starter set i've you know i've i've picked up D, &D starter sets i've played uh star wars starter sets i've played um uh the one ring starter set that just came out i've uh done the alien starter set nobody has had a solo adventure um with the exception of rune quest which is also your product at chaosium yeah. so um again the RuneQuest one as well was amazing uh to to do that it just it gave me such a sense of like okay this is how the game works this is how it feels this is the setting that i'm in this is the things i should be looking out for this is how combat works like the all of it was all of it was really 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 good i i can't sing enough praises for it well that, that's that's great to hear and thank you uh i mean the other thing to say um which I, you know, I know is somewhat different in some, not all, but some of the sort of game starter sets is 
you mentioned the uh, what I call book two, which is the kind of the core rules for Call of Cthulhu that you get uh -huh. in the starter set. They are they are the full rules in the sense, you know, you get character yes. generation, you get a version of character generation, and you can play full games of Call of Cthulhu. It's not some sort of halfway house that you now have to go and buy the full rule book to be able to play the game properly. You can play a proper full game of Call of Cthulhu with everything you get in the box set. And hopefully, the, and the idea for that is, you know, we want people to enjoy the game because if you enjoy the game, then you are far more likely to want to play more of the game. And if, at right. that point, you can then make the decision whether you want to buy the full proper Call of Cthulhu Keeper rulebook. And you can do that with all the added rules and optional rules and all the kind of background to the game and all of that kind of stuff that sets you up. Um, and, 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 you, and then you're into the game. You know, I, I'd rather people get a sense of what the game really is about and how to play it. And then they decide that they want more. Though that's a win for me. If they also decide they've tried it, they've played the starter set stuff, and it's not a game for them, that's cool. That's yeah. fine. They've given it a go. And now hopefully they can go and find the game that's right for them, that, that, that's looking to fill the need that they have. But, you know, that, that, both of those are wins for me, uh, you know, because at the end of the day, you know, Introducing people to tabletop gaming in any form is, is a great is a good thing. Yeah, we all yeah. we all love we all love doing it. So getting more people to love what we love that's a cool thing. And if they happen to really like Cthulhu while they're doing it, then that's hey that's a bonus for me. So <laughs> that's 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 what it's all about. Uh, the the starter set also comes with three adventures in book three, right? Uh, the first yeah. one is Paper Chase, which is designed for basically uh, one to two people plus the keeper, right? It's, it's uh, uh, yeah. which I think is I think it's so good. Like the fact that you can be like, hey, I got, I just got this new starter set. Do you want to come over tonight and play? And like you're running it with another person. Like what a great way to ease into being. A, a D, you know, a GM or a keeper, as you call it here, and call Cthulhu. Uh, what a great way to ease into it by just playing it with your one buddy before you move on to some of the other ones that you know play four to five people. No, absolutely. I mean, again, that just kind of mirrors kind of what I was saying about there being no barriers to entry. I wanted mm -hmm. to make it as easy as possible for people to kind of enjoy the game. So that's why the first book is a solo. The first adventure is just for one or two people because it's easier to just get a family member or a friend or a partner to come play the game with you rather than try and get a whole group of six people together. You, you know, try it with a couple of people to start with, and then and then each scenario thereafter can you can play. You know, four four to five people is recommended, but you could play it with six people if you like, or even yep. if you're just playing it with two people, it, it's very flexible. But the idea is that each scenario builds on the last. So, and you know, teach you a little bit more about the game, and you know, some different styles of play, and and um, you know, holds your hand in terms of how you run a role playing game for other people. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And we, uh, so we have a yearly convention, just kind of little local with our friends that we call GuildCon from our our gaming guild that we have here. Yeah. And, you know, it's got like 30 people in it. And I thought I would run the, um, uh, the, one of the scenarios that they had in their, the uh, edge, uh, edge, edge of, of darkness. darkness. Yep. Edge of darkness, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that would, so that, much that would work fun. Really well. Yeah. And um, ran it with them. And none of them, none of the people that I played with had ever played Call of Cthulhu. So it was a new system to them. Many of them were RPG veterans. Uh, you know, they've been playing a lot mm. of D&D, they've played Star Wars, they've played, you know, a lot of different uh, systems. 
none of them had ever played Call of Cthulhu. And when we played, uh, we just had so much fun. This was such a good scenario. This is the scenario where my friend tried to jump in the car and drive away, and he didn't didn't make of it. And, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, but the fact that you know the end where there's kind of this culminating scene that they're trying to stop a ritual, like we get together and we still laugh about the things that were happening in there right like uh <laughs> yeah yeah one, one of the guys failed the sanity role and he ended up going down into the basement and um basically just kind of like blair witch project style standing in the corner just like <laughs> you know just standing there um because he just like was you know going a little crazy and and uh the other people trying to snap him out of it while others were trying to like continue the ritual you know like yeah it was yeah we just laugh about it and have, you know, just so many fond memories. It's, it's such a great scenario. And, um, we've got plans to do the other one and, um, the, the dead man stomp as well. And there's just, there's so many good things about this, this starter set. And the thing that I love about this, and you're going to have to explain this to me, but it's only $25 in, <laughs> in the United States. Like, yeah, I, I like, are you guys losing money on this? I feel like you're losing money on this. <laughs> I, I, yeah, well, yeah, maybe. But, um, but as I say, it, it, money is tight for everyone, particularly particularly these days at the moment. And um, we wanted again to make it accessible. You know, you know, the, the getting in. You know, the core rulebook for Call of Cthulhu is more like a fifty dollar purchase, um, which is more of a commitment. But you know, where it's around twenty dollars, twenty five dollars. It's a it's a less less of a commitment, and so it's it's easy to kind of say, okay, let's give it a go, um, and so you know we just wanted to be, it to be accessible uh, as much as we could afford to do that. So you know we cover our costs, but uh, you know it, it's about introducing people to the game. As I say, if they they like what they find, then you know we we produce a lot of other really cool books, and hopefully people pick those up you know in in time, and uh, you know we get that. Um, return on investment effectively so uh yeah yeah i mean look that the handouts in there are top notch you get a set of rpg dice in there with you the pre-gens dr nevada jones is fantastic you know he's my favorite um, <laughs> so, uh, one, obviously the, you know, the, the nod to Indiana Jones, but two being from Nevada myself, like, oh, he, there you, go. So, you yeah, know, he had, yeah. he, I, I had to have somebody play Nevada Jones. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, this, this starter set's amazing. Like you can't find a lot of other starter sets. I think D and D's might be in the 20 to $30 price range, but if you go look at, uh, aliens or, um, the one ring or some of these other ones that are out, like they're all around $50. So the fact that you get this fully fleshed out call of Cthulhu starter set that has the solo adventure that has, um, three other adventures. I mean, that's like, that's four adventures right oh, there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. plus the rule book, plus the dice, plus the pre gens and all the handouts. Like you're, I mean, that's a, such an amazing value and I can't, I can't sing its praises enough. It literally is my favorite starter set that I've ever worked with. So, uh, well done on that. Well, well done. thank you again. Thanks for being so kind. It's uh, it's uh, nice to hear that it you know does the job that I, I hoped it would do, and and uh, yeah. you know that's 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 really good 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 feedback to know. Thank you. Now, before we go, um, I know that you guys also have a couple of other products that have come out last week as well that were released. Um, there's the Time to Harvest and the 
Cults of Cthulhu uh, supplements that came out. Um, do you want to give us a quick overview of those two books? Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, well, the uh, the Cults of Cthulhu is is kind of like a uh, a supplement for the game. Uh, you know, the game's called Call of Cthulhu. Right. Um, and one of the things, you know, the game is forty years old now, and there's been a lot of books published for it over the years, um, but hardly any of them actually talk about Cthulhu. Funnily enough, it's one of those <laughs> things. You know, Cthulhu is this big kind of monstrous kind of entity in the game but um but you very rarely kind of interact with cthulhu that you you interact with many other kind of horrors and monsters but cthulhu less so much so i just thought what with the 40th anniversary of the game coming up wouldn't it be cool to just do a book that's just about cthulhu you know finally we get a book that's just about cthulhu and and so right. the book is all about um providing you know a keeper with loads of information about cthulhu not just Cthulhu, the, the kind of the monstrous thing, but also the, the cults of Cthulhu, the humans who kind of interact with Cthulhu and worship Cthulhu and what their motivations are and, and you know, what, what plots that can come out of that for your games. And so we kind of present a range of different kind of cults of Cthulhu that you can use kind of, you know, straight out of the book. But there's also a chapter on how you could design your own kind of cult uh, that would you know, meet the requirements for the game that you want to play. And uh, that information, while it's focused on Cthulhu, you could easily apply it to any other kind of alien gods that are in, in the game's background. So it's a very yeah. you know, flexible system. Uh, and then, uh, and then there's some you know, new monsters and things like that. And uh, but it, it ends with three kind of large scenarios: uh, one set in kind of Victorian gaslight London, oh, one nice. set in the American kind of late 1920s, 30s in LA. Uh, and then um, and one scenario, the final one set in the modern day now. Um, oh, and cool. uh, and so and, and they're, they're kind of loosely connected thematically. So you could actually play all three as a kind of campaign. Obviously, you use different characters for each one, right. but the players will you know, know the connecting tissue or you can use them as one shots or you can use them to kind of kickstart a brand new campaign if you want to play in gaslight london or the 1920s or even you know the modern day as i say so that's what that book is all about and uh is uh, is very cool um and the the other book we recently published is called a time to harvest and that's actually a campaign um mm -hmm. and it's a campaign yep. set set again in the kind of uh, uh 1920s america in the kind of new england area uh, where you're playing in the, the fictional uh, town of Arkham, where the Miskatonic University is based. And you play um, kind of academic staff or students at Miskatonic University. And you, you end up going on this uh, kind of uh, this trip, this kind of uh, study trip to, to Vermont, where you, you, know, you meet the locals and you study the geology and all that kind of thing. And, but there's something going on and you kind of are pulled into this bigger plot that then takes you back from Vermont to to uh, to Arkham and then uh, and then beyond. And um, the cool thing about this campaign is it's very self-contained, and so for it's very much geared to uh, newer newer players, newer keepers who have maybe not run a campaign before. And so it's it's all built about you know making the campaign really easy to run, uh, lots of fun to enjoy and play, um, but is you know uh, not a not a 
not a very you know not an overwhelming experience it's a very it's a very simple kind of uh, plot that you know you are guided through with lots of tips and advice throughout in the book as well so it's a great kind of first time campaign if you've just picked up the starter set and you've enjoyed that and now you're looking to kind of maybe get into a campaign it's a great book that you can then pick up and start to play you know from the starter set onwards in a sense so um it works really well for you know novice players in that way and equally you know if you're an experienced color cthulhu player it's a great campaign in itself and you could easily get into it and make the most of it as well so you know it kind of services both needs but is but it's particularly cool because it really works that kind of first time campaign run kind of game as well yeah i was uh looking over it uh you know the the premise of it which is that the team was sent to investigate uh, some unusual happenings in the in the hills of Vermont, and now you're going back in. I, you know, I love that idea. <laughs> you're just like, okay, we uh, we know that uh, this is uh, this ended potentially very poorly, and uh, and yet we are going in to figure it out. And I think yeah. uh, I think that's amazing, right? Like, uh, what a great what a great start of a campaign. Like, you already know, like. It may not go well. Yeah, well, something, <laughs> so. something, something bad happened before, but you don't know what it is, but you're going there. And uh, so, you know, the people you meet, were they involved with the things you experienced? Was it, was, has that got something to do with it? So you're you're constantly kind of looking to try and work out what this, what happened and what the mystery is and who's involved. And, and what's really cool is that, you know, you come away from that first kind of part of the campaign thinking that, okay, we survived that. And I think we understand what's going on. And you find that it kind of follows you back to, you know, university and that, you know, no, no, we're not safe. We're, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever we did back there, there's consequences. It, it's followed us back to university and is now, is now happening here as well. So that's really cool. <laughs> yeah. And some of the things that, uh, that I like about this, uh, by the way, is that you guys do offer the PDF copy when you get the physical copy of the book. Which yeah, so yeah, if, uh, if you buy it direct from chaosium.com, uh, if you buy the physical copy, yeah, you always get the PDF for free. Um, and if you buy it from uh, your local game store and they're part of the bits and mortar scheme, then that happens as well. If you just make sure that your local store is a member of bits and mortar, it's free for them to, to, to sign up to as a store. And it just means that not only Call of Cthulhu, but many other games as well, if they sell the, uh, you know, the physical product, uh, they can provide the PDF to you as well. So it's worth checking out your local game store as a, a member of Bits and Mortar in that way. Yeah, looks, um, looks great. Um, you guys offer so much value for the, for the products that you have, and, and that's one of the reasons I, I really like your work at Chaosium, and uh, especially with the Call of Cthulhu. So... Um, Mike, thank you so much for coming on our show. We really appreciate you uh, spending some time with us and going over, you know, Call of Cthulhu, going over your background. Uh, are you are are do you happen to come to Gen Con ever? I, I do. I'm, I'm I won't be this year, uh, but I uh, I uh, more than likely will be there next year in 2023. Okay. But yeah, normally normally most years I'm I'm around the Chaosium booth at Gen Con or doing a panel or running a game or whatever. So uh, please, uh, if you uh, pass by and, uh, you know, ha always happy to meet uh, meet players and, uh, you know, want to chat about the game and so forth. So, yeah, yeah, please look me up. Yeah. 
For sure. Uh, we will we will be there this year, and uh, we'll, I'm, I'm assuming there still will be a Chaosium booth, even though you... Oh, yeah, there'll be a Chaosium booth, and my colleagues will be there, and uh, there'll be plenty of things happening, and some, uh, as usual, some cool stuff on our booth, so yeah, do check it out. Fantastic, and we, we plan to. But anyway, thank you so much again, Mike, for coming on the show and, ta- and, and spending some time with us. Uh, we know you're a busy guy, always writing your RPGs, and so uh, we're happy that you came on to talk about them with us. Well, thank you, and thanks again. It's been a pleasure and uh, always nice uh, talking about this kind of stuff. So uh, happy to do it, and uh, thanks so much again. All right, thank you very much. Have a good night, everybody.